that the disciples are looking for, they're just in disagreement as to what role Jesus plays in it. And the Pharisees and Sadducees have rejected Jesus as this Messiah figure, as the one that will restore them to their rightful rule, to put the enemies under the feet, to see God worshipped on Zion. Like, that's what they expect this Messiah figure to do. The disciples, for the most part, expect the same thing. They just think that Jesus is the right God. Okay? So, you're going to see this interaction, how Jesus deals with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and how Jesus deals with the disciples. Now, here's some bad news. The disciples, we tend to, they're the disciples, right? They get a capital D. They're important, special people. The problem is that they are prone to be extremely foolish. And these next two chapters will bear that out. They say, yes, Jesus, we will follow you. Yes, we agree that you are the person. No, I don't want to do the thing that you want to do. No, I don't want you to go ahead and die on the cross. There's a disagreement there. The thing that they say they agree with, they don't really agree with. Uh, bad news number two, we tend to be the disciple folk. Okay, if you see the disciples acting in a certain way, that's probably us in the story. We're, we're not the Jesus figure, okay? we're probably not the demoniac. Okay? We're probably the disciples who are well-intentioned but are probably missing it. And that's important for us because as we see the interactions you know, Jesus responds to them, as we continue to push through Matthew, we can learn lessons on how they are kind of digesting this. I wanted a king in a specific way. The king came and is not the way that I wanted. How do I reconcile these things? Okay, so that's how we can look out for ourselves in these stories. All right, so we're going to go back and start at chapter uh, 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees are looking for signs. It says, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, that's Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. This is not the first time they've asked for a sign, some proof that Jesus is who he says he was. The problem with it, and prior to Matthew would demonstrate this, is he's done plenty of them. He's fed 5,000, he's fed 4,000. Those are shallow numbers, right? Because those are counting dudes only. So you're probably 10 grand apiece on both. Free feeding 20,000 people. He had an interaction with them. Where they were following to see if he was going to do any work on the Sabbath, he goes into a synagogue where they go about their business and heals a man there on the Sabbath. Are they aware that he heals people? Yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm going to ask a number of questions. They're not rhetorical. You can go ahead and answer. Like some, some pastor questions are rhetorical questions. These are just general, if I ask a question. So, uh, has he demonstrated and given them signs already? Yes. Yes, he has. Are they refusing to acknowledge him? Are they constantly asking for more and say, "This is we still don't believe it, or we don't like what you're bringing, so we want more and more proof? And Jesus' reaction is, no, no, I've given it to you. You've had the ability to see how I act, and you're refusing. You want that a kingdom to be this way, I'm bringing something else, and you refuse to submit to that. Okay? Um, there's, there's a reference here to a sign of Jonah. I won't spend a ton of time on this, but this is an interesting reference. Um, most of the time, you're, you're, folks will say that the sign of Jonah is the same sign uh, where Jonah is put into the whale that comes out after three days, that that will be Christ's resurrection. And that will be the sign to the Jews that they will finally get. Jesus will do nothing else special for them. But upon his resurrection, they will know the difference. Okay? That's generally how that is read. There's some other alternate theories behind that, uh, some of which I really like, uh, but that's generally what the sign of Jonah is. All right, then the conversation continues. And from this point on, he is not going to have any other interactions with the Pharisees and Sadducees until he gets to Jerusalem. 
Okay? It, our, our focus is coming from broad interactions with people that uh, are against the kingdom or are fighting Jesus' uh, system to the disciples where Jesus is really honing in to try to teach them and help them understand what is he's bringing. Because the truth is, the time is coming in which they will be tested. Jesus will not be alive forever. And they will be responsible for having understood what this kingdom actually is, what Jesus is bringing, who Christ is, and how to share that with the world. It's important that they get this. And so Jesus is brushing off those who are rejecting him out of hand and spending a lot of time with well-intentioned but don't quite get it disciples from here going forward. As a matter of fact, you're not going to see, you're going to see one more miracle between now and Jerusalem, and that's it. He's simply done with all those things. He's explaining the kingdom that he's bringing. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Now here's the thing, like, we've had some interactions with Jesus and Matthew. Like, we've seen him, you know, help feed tens of thousands of people with, with bread, and, and there's, they're not getting it, right? This is a sign to us to say, when, when they say something about bread, Jesus says, why are you, why are you talking about bread? Like, can we, can we get on board with the bread? It's not the deal. Uh, he continues, and he says, uh, but Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith. Now that seems a little Based upon this, hey, we didn't bring it to birth. Jesus is talking about bread. We don't want to kind of reconcile these things. But here's how you need to think of faith. It's not a measure. Okay? It's not where we say there's a jar of faith. Once you have enough, then you can cash in and get the things that Jesus promised. That's not faith. Okay? It is, uh, I've heard some very destructive thought around that, especially when it comes to prayer. We had someone that we interviewed on the radio show once, and someone, there was a, uh, a teenage girl who was dying of cancer, and uh, family obviously distraught over this, and like some of the friends would come and say, hey, um, you just don't have the faith, you're not praying enough. Pray more, and then, and then this will happen, and then the healing will happen. And, and the truth is, is that like, that just isn't how faith works. It's not a storage up of, here's, it's, it's, it's thinking that faith is good works. Did I pray enough, and then will Jesus be Jesus? The truth is, Jesus will always be Jesus. Faith is saying, I trust Jesus to be Jesus. That's faith. And what, what we're going to see here is some constant demonstrations of they're not trusting Jesus to be Jesus. They're not saying, I do not have faith. I do not submit to the power, authority of who Jesus Christ is. And because I don't, these things don't occur like I expect them to occur. They're not submitting to that. That's faith. Let Jesus be Jesus. And then I agree with that. And I submit my life to it. That's faith. Okay? So what we're getting here is a, is a shallow demonstration, but it's it's showing that they're still not getting it. We get this idea that regardless of the things that Christ has said off so far, they're missing it somehow. Okay? Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? They picked up the bread. Right? They picked up the scraps. They were there with his miracle. Um, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Our overarching theme here is there's, there's still kingdoms that are in place. Okay? What kingdom are they wanting to be a part of? Jesus brings a very specific thing. He brings his thing. It's not subject to alteration, to the things that we want. Okay? His disciples have to face that. It continues in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. If you're keeping track with the home game, that's a point for Peter. 
Okay? They still get the bread thing. Point for Peter. He got one. He nailed it. He was right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, answered Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Where's that from? You guys recognize that? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. It's, it's a beatitude. Okay? It's from the Sermon on the Mount. It shows back up here. It says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Or his son. So Simon's son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, it is still not Peter's wisdom that has deduced this. He's got it from God. Okay, that happens upon submission. I'm saying, I agree, Jesus is who Jesus is. I'm submitting to his kingdom, to his authority. With that comes the spoils of the kingdom, which is wisdom and understanding and joy and miracles. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Whoa, okay. Why not? This seems like good news, right? You are the Christ. I love it. What? Why? Why does he not kill anyone? Okay, we'll wait on that. Maybe I'll see if I can answer that. Okay. Uh, it may be the fact, from our bread story, they may still just play that game. Okay. There's a danger of the guy who doesn't get it being your mouthpiece. Let's see. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Who's not <laughs> No, Jesus, I believe you are who's here. No, this thing will not happen the way you say it will happen. If you're Peter, and you expect Jesus to bring an earthly kingdom, someone to really clean house and put the Jews back in the position of power, and the guy that you've agreed is the one that who's going to do it says, yeah, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. You're not on board with that. That's not what you agreed to. It's not what you expected that's where, that's where Peter's rebuke is coming from. So why, is, why does Jesus say, don't tell anybody? Peter still, he still don't got it. He still doesn't quite have it. He still has this idea of this is what my kingdom will be. And that's not what Jesus is offering. And he's still, when we agree that Jesus is Jesus, and he says things like, hey, I'm going I'm to have to die. And we say, okay, it must be right with it. It must be right with it. Do you have the, I got things in my life that I'm not on board with. Things that I'm not open to Jesus doing as he sees fit. The thing is, is I want my family to protect me. Uh, I would prefer to not to be harmed myself. I, I would prefer that certain things not befall people that I know and love, and certain circumstances never occur. Certain things that I really like to play with or I enjoy or that make me feel like I'm an important person, I would prefer that those not be taken away. But the truth is, is that I'm an odds with Jesus. He says, uh, the captivity, they want to take you into captivity with them. You're going to die by the sword, you'll die by the sword. His kingdom says, your life is, is, is important to me, but it may not be in the ways that it's important to you. And so, yeah, and this, I'm the mirror, I'm the disciples in this one. Peter, Peter seems a lot more valiant than the things that he's fighting for. He wants some sort of rulership of a, of a Jewish kingdom. I just want my own safety. And I disagree with Jesus in this fact. To this day, as a man that loves and follows Christ, I don't like it. And I like it even less when it's the possibility that people that I know and love could die for that kingdom. It's right. It's right and good. But I'm a little bit Peter in that area. So can I get where Peter's coming from? Yeah. Yeah. But what are we trying to learn here? Is that there's 
I can't submit to Jesus' kingdom without actually submitting to Jesus' kingdom. I can't say, well, I like a little what you got. Can we bring some of this? And Jesus says, no, I, I bring what I need. This is what I do. You're submitting to my kingdom or not at all. You don't know, you know what Peter missed? What do you say? Jesus says, uh, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You don't complete it. You notice he missed that? He just didn't even acknowledge it. Lord, this will never happen. That's probably not the response to all be raised. It's to all be killed. He, he, he missed it. Jesus even told something that would help bring some comfort to the fact that he's going to die. But we hear what we want to hear. We latch on to what we really care about. What we care about. Jesus is the leader of the rebellion. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus had a similar offer to rule an earthly kingdom without the dying, without the suffering. Do you guys remember who offered it to him? Yeah, it was Satan. Right after Jesus was baptized, he was brought to the, to the desert to be tempted. Third thing that Satan tries to do is he says, look, I can give you all this. The kingdoms of the world are mine. Are they his? Yeah, for now. He says, I'll just give these to you. None of this suffering on the cross business. Do you know what people are going to do with that cross? Do you know people that will die in your name because of that cross? People who get your story wrong? Why do that? I'll just give it to you. And Jesus says, no. No. You're trying to make me a king of a different kingdom, and I won't do it. I am the king. I bring a specific kingdom, and it's not for sale, and it's not to be bargained with. And that is what Jesus is rebuking in Peter, is the exact same temptation. Be a different king. Bring a different kingdom. Then Jesus told his disciples, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice yet, this is not a salvation context. We we think cross, we say salvation. They don't know that. He's told us to his disciples, they do not have salvation in their mind. Do you know who dies on crosses? Revolutionaries. People that go up against the Roman Empire and fail are hung on crosses. So the people that enter the area will see that that was a person that tried to come up against Rome, and that is what happened. Jesus is not a unique person to die on a cross. Okay? Three of the disciples will die on crosses. Andrew and Philip both, and then Peter upside down next to his wife. Okay? It's, the, the cross is not a unique item here. But the point is, what Jesus is saying is, what is on the table for you to follow me? If you will take up your cross and follow me, you are following me to death in a failed revolution. My kingdom is true, and it is worth it, and this is what's at stake. That's what he's saying. That's what he's calling here. We sometimes, especially now, we're so far removed from crosses, dying on crosses. What we say is, take up my cross and follow me. Bear the burdens of the life that I have. Okay? Yeah, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what's on the line in his kingdom. That's what he's talking about. He's he's put it into relief that not only is Peter asking to say, you don't have to go through all this, certainly you won't die, but he turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You who will follow me may also die as well, and every one of them does. Save John, who lives a long life after being full of the Lord. Oh, he's the cat. Just don't dumb this down. Don't, don't restrict this to like, well, I, I, I work in a, a workplace where they don't love Jesus. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, follow Jesus there, but that's not this. That's not what he's talking about. He's life online, take up the cross, die for this revolution. That's what he's presenting to Peter. 
so that Peter understands what Jesus is asking. He's put it into full relief. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Kingdom of the world, kingdom of Jesus. There's an in and an out. That's what he's presenting. Okay. It moves into the transfiguration. We talked about this relatively recently, so I'm not going to belabor a lot of these points, but I want, want you to see the interactions here. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Hey, this is cool, by the way. Wait, guys. Um, just a quick plug. We're doing that Revelation class coming up. Compare the description of Jesus in the transfiguration to Revelation chapter 1 description of Jesus. Very cool. We'll talk about the Revelation class. But just something to dip into. Okay? And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I, I, this is very interesting to me. There's a lot of really passive discussions about why he's... The, the tent thing is really weird to me. Like you see Jesus in the glowing and the, and the, the people who've been dead forever talking to each other. Your reaction is, let me put up a tent. Put up a few tents and get some shelters so that you can keep a talk. Okay? I just thought that was weird. Now there's, there's reasonable explanations potentially for this. Um, one of them is is that um, he's creating some sort of memorial. Matter of fact, in my study Bible says he's creating a memorial. I think that's kind of a bad memorial. Like when he's you're on a mountain, you're making you know tents out of sticks and brush. So I mean, if you're going to do a memorial, you do it Old Testament style. You take rocks and build an altar or something. So like, I don't know if I'm buying a memorial. Okay? Um, he just wanted he wanted to be hospitable. He says these guys are going to hang out. I'm going to create a tent. There's basically nothing to do. That's interesting. Except for I don't know why they use individual tents. People that hang out. That seems weird to me. Here's what I think Peter is doing, and this is the only reason I tell this story, is there is, in intertestamental literature, there is a, uh, there's this anticipation that when Elijah comes, that they will tabernacle with the people. Okay, we tab- tabernacle as in tents, that's the right thought, is tents, building tabernacles. Uh, it was something they would have celebrated, um, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles, to remember when God was with them as they traveled through uh, the desert when he led them out of Egypt. Okay, so that's kind of the background of this. But the thought was that these, when Elijah would return, which they'll bring up as part of the transfiguration, that they would tabernacle with the people before kind of the onslaught, before they came to take over and reassert Jewish authority in the area of which they will physically dominate. Now, put that into the mind of our man Peter, who says, hey, Elijah's here. Let's get this thing moving. I'll build the tabernacles. I'll do the tents. Now, does that make sense? Now we're making the sense, now we've been putting sense together, it makes a lot of sense. He's still anticipating what he just got the review. But then he sees Elijah and he's, he's back into the same thought process. Okay, I'm in. I'll build the tents, uh, we'll do the tabernacle thing, and then we're going to take over the joint. And it sounds great. And he's back in. That's why I think the tents are there. That's stuff that means an honor So I uh, just wanted to point that out to you. So uh, he says, uh, a bright cloud, he was still speaking when the whole, I like how God puts him off. No, Peter, no. He's still talking, God says, that's not, we're not, whatever this tent thing is, it's done. Okay? He was still speaking when the whole, the bright cloud overshadowed him. You hear cloud, we think God. Okay? God is, uh, when the, it's a cloud that hovers over the mountains, get the ten commandments. It's a cloud that leads them through the desert. Okay? Cloud, God. Um, and the cloud overshadows him, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We have heard that before. Do you remember Baptism. It was at his baptism, same thing. God shows up the same thing. This is him. It's still an identity issue. Jesus is who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's my beloved son. Okay? Interesting though, he taps up the moment. He says, listen to him. Now this seems like it wouldn't be a problem for me. 
I'm in the cloud and begin blowing people and people that have been dead for years and then this booming God voice says, this is my, I'm not going to do the double, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. And I'm not sure that in that moment I would be looking at him and thinking, boy, I wonder if I should listen to him. Like it just doesn't seem like it's something that would be occurring to me that perhaps, well, he's a little shit compared to people at times. Maybe I just can't trust him. I, I think that would be off the table. Here's the connection. In Deuteronomy, Okay, Moses, just before Moses is about to die, he says, a prophet will come after me. A prophet will come. And he will be greater than me. Listen to him. Now you see the connection. Why this is important for the disciples to hear. It's, it's reaffirming. Peter has reasonable doubts here. I'm going to put it, because I think my doubts are reasonable, so I'm going to put Peter in my camp. Okay? We have reasonable doubts as to whether this is the guy, because things aren't going how I expect them to go. This kingdom isn't working how I expect it to work, and so I have doubts. And so God is providing that as a gift to say, listen to him. I see Moses. I am reminded that the prophet will come after Listen to him. That's a cool gift from God. That's a cool gift in that story that he's provided for Peter to be reaffirmed, to understand what exactly he's bringing. Okay, so he's still dealing with doubts of the disciples. We're still dealing with these kingdoms that are kind of fighting against each other, this end of this hour, and now they're coming down from the mountain. And it says, um, let's see, also the Son of Man, let's finish in this. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Same instruction. I still, I still can't have you going on representing my organization. Okay? But he's given them a timeline. He's given them a timeline that says, until I have been raised from the dead. And then you may see. Which kind of makes that sound that Jonah thing make sense. But... So that's what he says. You, you still have to be quiet, but wait until I'm raised from the dead. And the disciples asked then, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? This refers back to Malachi 4. We don't need to dig into it. It's a technical question that they're trying to resolve. Okay, if all these things are true, how do I deal with Scripture as I know it? It's back in Malachi 4. Jesus provides a correct answer, and we kind of move on from there. It says, but I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. Who's they? Really, I think Really, everybody, because Jesus is having to tell them who he wants. But it, it also reinforces this outside language, this in and out, right? There's a they, there's a people who are not me that did not recognize John the Baptist as Elijah, Elijah, but did to him whatever they pleased. This is also the thing that uh, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of every time God sent a prophet. He says, every time I sent one, you killed him. Okay? You dispatched him. They will do the same thing to Jesus. He's kind of playing off of that same motif. It's like you didn't, you didn't recognize him. And did to him whatever you please. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Okay, so let's move on. Now, now we're down from the, from the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? We're down from there, and we're entering into some fresh territory. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. Uh, interesting cycle. That word epileptic in the Greek is, is weird. It means affected by the moon. Okay? Moon, lunar, the KJ, the KJ person will put that as lunatic because you're impacted by the moon. The things I learned from reading the Bible. So, uh, anyway, so he, whether it's epileptic or not, it's not the point. Um, but that's what they thought was happening. Ultimately, he's demon possessed. Okay? And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. This is weird because Jesus said they would. Jesus said, you will do the things I do with me. Why? Why? Why are they not able to heal him? And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation. Do you guys remember that from chapter 16? 
an evil and adulterous generation, referring to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's using similar language here, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Who's he talking to? Who's the faithless and twisted generation? Is it, is it the guy... Is it the guy who brought his son to be healed? Is it the generation of people that he comes from? Is he, it's likely that he's a Jew. Or is it the disciples? I lean towards the disciples here. I lean towards the disciples because of what I think we're being shown is still, they look, they're still not getting it completely. There's still a lack of faith here. That's why they were not able to heal him. Okay? That, that's what I think is happening here. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. Faith in Jesus' authority. What he comes to bring is submitting to that. Because remember, the faith of a mustard seed, tiny, tiny mustard seed. He's basically saying, If you have any faith at all, you have all faith. Because there's nothing, not smaller than mustard seed, it's nothing. So no faith or faith. Okay, so it's not, again, not a measure here. Are you submitting to who I am, what I bring, the authority I have, and the kingdom that I'm building? That's what he's asking. Okay. Why are we introduced to this? Why do we need to know to not quite trust the disciple? Because I think we need to see ourselves in it. That's why. There's, he's taking a lot of pains to show how people just miss it just a little. That's us. That's us. In various parts of our lives, I feel... You, you know would know better than I would what you have in your life, but I know that there are things in my life where like I know what Jesus is saying and I would say that I believe it and then there's just a thing where like, I just don't want it that way, God. I don't want it that way. It's harder. Or it makes me look foolish. Or frankly, I think it makes you look foolish. Can we just do this differently? And Jesus is weeding it out. And God bless that. He's weeding it out. Do you notice he keeps following up with them? The Pharisees and Sadducees make the same mistake. Show me. Show me. Give us a sign. He says, I'm done with you. You'll get nothing. They keep making that very same mistake. And he explains the bread. Okay? He explains why they can't heal the boy. That's awesome. That's awesome. They're still, they're still after. They're still following. And they're saying, I want wheat. Help weed that out. And the difference is when they're able to act on it, always has to be my submitting to your kingdom, to your ways, to your life, to your enemy. That's the question. Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Take the cross. Who would I do? We use the word following Jesus, but we use it in a real kind of shallow way. What we mean is do things that we think other Christians are kind of tied to do. But like, what did Jesus do? Who did he talk to? What did he do? Where did he go? How did he die? Are those things on the table for us as we take up our cross and follow Jesus? He's asking a very big, awesome, joyful thing. We need to be careful that we don't undercut what Jesus is actually asking. And his running into disciples over and over and over again and saying, think bigger, think more, think deeper. I'm going to help you see this. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said, wait, did it? We feel like he got it? I think mean, he's, he's taking some time. We'll see if they did. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. 
and they would really be just doing it. Dumb text. I'm gonna take this. Uh, I got a lot of stuff we're gonna talk about. We don't have time for it. I'm gonna take this. So I'm gonna tell you one more story. This is becoming one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Okay, and it's about the temple tax. It has complete relevance to you because uh, the temple tax is the old pagan drachmas and all this. So here we go. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, "Does your teacher not pay the tax?" He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him. First, let me describe the tax. If you're a 20-year-old Jew or older, you pay the temple tax. Unless you're a rabbi. And I mean a legit rabbi. A legit teacher of the law applies and he doesn't have to pay the tax anymore. What is he asking? Does your teacher pay the tax? Is he, is he legit? Is he legit? Is he, is, is, he, is he part of the right thing? Is he a good teacher? Does he not pay the tax? Does your teacher not pay the tax? He says, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. Now, hold on. How is Peter doing? He's got doubts already. And now he's been shamed, potentially, because he approaches him and says, hey, you're, you guy's not legit. He pays the tax. He's not even a legit teacher. No, no, Peter's in the right spot. I like, I like what Jesus does. Peter doesn't have to come in and start defending himself. Jesus talks to him. Jesus spoke to him and says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, is that true? You, you tax the people that you're over, right? Then you use the taxes to continue to be over. That's their circumstance, kind of our circumstance. Okay? Jesus is saying, they're charging the tax to people that don't belong to their organization. The sons are free. But Jesus is paying tax. It says, however, not to give offense to them, it's a bad translation. Go to the sea, cast them out, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Here's the question. Okay? Jesus is delineating the in and the out. Except he's the out. He says, am I a, am I a legit teacher in their kingdom, in their organization? No. No, I paid the tax. I will pay that tax. And when I say that's a bad translation, it says, um, however, not to give offense to them. First of all, I have we met Jesus? He doesn't seem to have this problem offending them. That word is the same word it says, if you are, um, if your limb causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, it's that word. So it's not, hey, I'm worried about offending them. It's basically so they don't miss it. So they understand exactly what I'm saying. I am not a part of you. We will pay the tax. Because there is an in and there is an out. There's the inside and the outside. They are the inside. Jesus is the outside. That is the right kingdom. Our question is, can I come into the out now? Can I go, can, can I go where Jesus is? Can I come there? Because Jesus is making that clear distinction. Then the cool part, who pays the tax? God does. God does. Jesus says, go get a fish. There'll be a shekel and it'll cover your tax and mine. Who created the fish and put the shekel in there? That's cool. God says, I'll take care of this. I'll pay the tax. Here's the broad point. As we come into chapter 18, we start to learn how to deal with these types of things in a community infrastructure. Okay? He said, they're going to ask, who is the greatest? And, he said, and Jesus is going to respond to this in Who comes in humility? Okay? Who comes humbly to me? Who doesn't declare that they know what the kingdom should be? Who doesn't fight with me about what the kingdom is and how it's going to change? It comes like a child comes to Jesus and says, Jesus? This is Jesus, the God, the creator of the universe. That, that, okay, I'm in. I agree. 
My kids are probably getting older, so they don't look to be like that anymore. As the guy that doesn't fail, that, does, that handles everything correctly. Faith of a child does that for your parents. Can we look at God that And the truth is, is like coming from 16 to 18, what we're finding is the disciples are struggling with that. Just like we do, because we're, we're adults. And, and we're putting, there's ideas in our head, and there's other kingdoms, and there's other worlds that are fighting for how we see and understand and follow Christ. And that's hard for us. And I get that, and Peter gets that, and Jesus gets that. And he's gracious and loving with that. But it doesn't mean he's not calling us to the thing. He's still calling us to take the cross. He's still calling us to understand what his kingdom is asking for. All those things are still on the table. He's helping us get there. The Holy Spirit helps us get there. That's great. Chapter 18, the trajectory will be that how do we live in a community that helps us to continue to get there and follow Christ and to do it together? That's chapter 18. And you're going to continue to see as we move towards Jerusalem, Jesus interacting with his disciples in a way that he's also interacting with us and see what I'm doing. Trust who I am and join my kingdom and follow me. That's what he's asking. He's asking for all of them. So as we continue to go through Matthew, right? So we continue to go through Matthew. Look for that. Watch the disciples. That's probably you. And they won't always do the right thing. Good, that looks like it. And then I can see how Jesus reacts to them. And I can see how he calls them back. And how he points them back to him. And that's a glorious way to be faithful.